Hello everybody. We're still not sure exactly how they managed it, but Saturday saw Sale overcome four yellow cards in the second half alone to beat Wasps 20 points to 19 at the Rico. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. And joining me to try and make sense of a, a pretty tumultuous afternoon uh, yesterday uh, are my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Baffled, mate. Absolutely baffled, but it was it was the most emotive I've felt after a game of rugby for quite some time. I think, um, yeah, thought it was an incredible game. Did by no means should have won it. Somehow won it. Um, it's very unsale, isn't it? Um, we're usually on the other end of those sorts of results. So, uh, yeah, just <laughs> feeling feeling bloody good. How are you? Do Do you think you feel so emotive because it's wasps? That we beat in that fashion. Do you know my my dislike for wasps has sort of um, dissipated over the last few years and been transferred to Quinns and Bristol, really. Um, so I think I think I don't think so because I don't mind them anymore, really. Like I really like a lot of their players, and I really like Lee Blackett. Um, so no, I think it's genuinely just the fact that I I had written off that game from about. To be honest, I'd written it off after about three minutes when I saw it. it was a bit chaotic, and I was like, "We're not going to deal well with this, are we?" And then Wasp just proceeded to refuse to score points against us, which was brilliant. Um, and then when we got four yellow cards, I, I, I was like, "Right, okay, well, there's no way of winning this game. Maybe we'll get a losing bonus point." And then we went over for the try, and I punched my sofa in <laughs> delight. <laughs> okay, well, a man who's uh... Dislike for Wasps, I'm sure, hasn't dissipated. It's my co-host, James. James, how are you? Yeah, absolutely not. You can't you can't forgive them for, A, stealing our players, B, and this is the worst one, moving to Coventry just completely randomly, just taking big chunks out of academy sort of regional area, just stealing players basically from the Midlands and to a place where there's already a club with enormous history um, with ambitions to get back to the Premiership. I think it was an absolute disgrace. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I you know, look, it, what I completely agree on the emotion, first and foremost. Um, I've never seen a second half like it. Um, and actually, it almost took the pressure off because as soon as, you, as soon as you had two yellow cards, you thought, oh, well, I mean, these things happen every now and again and we're not going to win. And these things happen. It's just out of our control. You know, it just it's better to get it out in one game. Get out of the way in one game. Um, but to win at the end and then see the players and the way they reacted, oh, just brilliant, brilliant rugby. And we've been blessed with the last two weekends just across the board, really. Some just brilliant rugby in the Six Nations, brilliant rugby in the Premiership. I mean, let's, there is no avoiding it. So let's let's get straight straight into it. Um, second half, obviously, see Sale concede four yellow cards. Uh, a high tackle, well, we'll talk about that shortly. A high tackle from, from Luke James, shoulder to head. High tackle from Aka van der Merwe, uh, shoulder to head. Um, deliberate knock-on from Byron McGuigan and deliberate knock-on from AJ McGinty. So Sale basically played the entire second half with uh, down at least one man and, and, as James mentioned, down two men on, on a couple of occasions. So, I mean, Alex, you, you've already mentioned it, but... When we look back at this game, is this a game Sale won, or is this a game that Wasps 
completely threw away. Oh, well, it's 100% Wasp throwing it away, isn't it? And I think what what I think has happened here is that there is nothing, nothing that the Sail Sharks squad love more than being the underdog. And there is no way to be more of an underdog than reduce your team to 13 men for large portions of the game. And we, we it's like the inverse of um, of kind of the expectations and, and the hype. And, you know, when we're favourites, we bottle it. And when we've got a lot of possession, we bottle it. But when we're down to 13 men and we've got a scrap for our lives and show, you know, oh, all this northern grit, we just seem to step up about four levels. We, To be honest, yes, Wasp threw this way, absolutely. But we played brilliantly down to 14 and 13. We executed really, really well. We played in the right areas of the field. And we made Wasps look like they were chucking the, the kind of initiative away and, and they were making all the errors because the pressure was on them. And, and to an extent, they were. But I think a lot of it was forced by kind of, you know, that... The way we kept our organisation in defence, because you know, you're thinking we had we had some pretty important players for us off the field. You know, Luke James goes off first at fullback, so there's a massive change there. Less so with Acker, but certainly losing Byron McGregor and AJ McGinty. You know, we lost three backs there, and that in a lot of a lot of times, especially in the second half of the game, to try and be able to cover the backfield. You know, I think Wasps absolutely could have exploited it better, but. We managed to kind of, you know, just disrupt and and that almost chaotic defence that put wasps under that pressure. So, I think there's an there's an element of it that is certainly wasps throwing it away, and I don't think we could ever claim responsibility for that win. But at the same time, I think with the hand we were dealt, and in the sort of time on the tradition of you can only beat what's put in front of you, the way we dealt with it was unbelievable. I I was genuinely so so impressed. At how we played, and I think we played better with in that second half down to thirteen and fourteen than we have, you know, with fifteen a lot of times this season. James, what what stood out to you then in that passage of play where we're down to fourteen and, and occasionally thirteen men? Well, I mean, the scramble defence was extraordinary, um, and, and and I thought they called it. Healy called it absolutely right, you know. Um, on, on you know the way that Wasps executed their plays, um, there's just panic, absolute panic. <clears throat> Gopworth was trying to do crossfield kicks from first phase possession. You know all they have to do is you just go through a couple of phases and you're going to score. There was no fullback in place when we we're down to 13 men, so a chip over the top just get someone like Kibberigi to run after it and they score a try. I mean the, the execution was dreadful. So I think Wasps, the, I mean it was really inept play um, that helped. But there were some titanic personal performances in that in that period where we had thirteen men, and I tell you what, it was the psychological boost of going back up to fourteen. <laughs> like I don't know if you noticed it, but we went up to fourteen, and we were all like, "Oh, thank God, we're back to 14. Like, in normal circumstances, you should be counting down to when you're at fifteen. But it just meant that we were able to cover that backfield enough, and the people who got Simbin, I thought, was mostly quite helpful. Um, you know, we we we, we you know, in, in, just in terms of the positions that they were playing and how we were able to to restructure as a side. And I know we'll get into individual performances, but you know, during that period where thirteen men, there was some absolutely titanic individual performances that appeared, that hadn't weren't in the game in the first half. Um, I'm thinking of the Dupreas, um, who di- didn't particularly have brilliant first halves, and then second halves, 
I mean, it was just superhuman. Okay, well, I mean, I feel like we're going to have to kind of stick on this topic particular, in particular because obviously throughout the rest of the game, you know, Aka scores a try from, from the back of a rolling ball. Josh Bramlett scores a try from the back of a rolling ball. There isn't necessarily loads to, to, to discuss from a, from a in-game perspective. So we, we have to talk about these kind of key incidences in, in the second half. James, I'll go back to you then. So let's kind of go, let's go down the list in terms of those yellow cards then. Um, you know, did, did you agree with, you know, one, two, three, and four? Uh, and what, what do you think that kind of says about the snowball effects that it kind of had on the sale uh, squad in that second half where we just could not seem to keep uh, 15 men on the field? Well, we were losing our heads. There's no question about that. Um, but that's what happens when you're under pressure and, you, you know, it, it got to that stage where if, if Boss had executed a try, I mean, we might have conceded another one or two. So I can, I, you know, go, going through them, I mean, you might have to remind me, I thought Akers was definitely a yellow. Um, yep. And you can't really complain, you know, it, was, it wasn't just a normal seatbelt because there was a swinging arm in it. And, uh, and I don't think it, it. Sorry? Andy jumped into it. Andy jumped into it. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a harsh red. Um, but if we hadn't already, you know, I, I it, it was definitely on the upper end of yellow, wasn't it? Basically, that one. Um, Luke James, I, I understand why he got it. I understand why he got the yellow card. But I do think, and they spoke a lot about it in commentary. Ben Kay talked about it, I thought, really, really well. In that when someone steps you on the inside, you can't bend your body. Humans aren't built that way. And there was no swinging arm. There was no going to the player. He was completing a tackle for someone who was upright. Yes, they're saying, well, you've got to get lower. But when somebody is stepping you on the inside, you can't tackle low because you can't shift your waist out and your legs to lean into a into a lower tackle. So I thought that they got it absolutely right that if Bassett had just carried on running, it would have been just an absolutely normal tackle. I mean, it, it would have been absolutely fine. And so I think that there... I think if a slip is initiated foul play, I you know I, I I just don't think that that should have been a yellow. But with the way that he went through his process, I don't think you can criticise the referee. Basically, especially with so much focus at the moment on head injuries, it's just you know it's just I understand why they're doing it because they want to make make this a permanent change in behaviour for rugby, and this will make rugby better and safer, uh, and and we've we've got to be grateful for that. But anyway, I thought it was a you know silly silly yellow. Um, then uh, we had McGinty <laughs> nearly got away with it. Uh, it was nearly brilliant. <laughs> um, and it was. Do you know what was so frustrating about it was that having to go right back to it. I think that that was the thing about that that was so annoying. But actually, if they noticed it in the field of play, and we were under the pump again with them attacking and Gopper's pass. I don't think you can argue with that one. He wasn't making an attempt to catch the ball. The final one, we had a bit of a debate, didn't we, on 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 WhatsApp with with uh, McGuigan. Yep. My my person, I understand that you know he's trying to hit the ball upwards, so he's he, he's doing it deliberately to then retrieve the ball. Yeah. But for me, two things. One is he made a deliberate decision, right, to come in quickly, knowing that we were a bit fucked on the outside. Yeah, we were massively under the pump. We knew if we conceded then. So he went he went for broke. He took a massive risk. 
And I think that when the opposition have such a clear try-scoring opportunity and you make a deliberate decision to try and put the ball up with one arm, so he's not trying to catch it in first go, he's trying to hit it up and then retrieve it, I think that that is like such high risk on the far end of, you know, actually going to reclaim that. The chances are very, very slim. You, you don't, you, you see it sometimes, but not very often. It either goes into the midriff or up here, you know, that's when you get your true intercepts. That wasn't the case. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. I thought in another world, he might have been able to retrieve it, go the length and we would have scored an intercept try. But for me, there was a deliberate decision knowing that there was high risk for us conceding. And, and, and low chance of him retrieving the ball from a one-handed up. So for me, it was a yellow card, considering uh, what it was. I, I know that you disagree, Lewis, with um, with the rule. I think with the with the actual ruling. Yeah, yeah. I think um, super quickly on this. I think the deliberate knock-on rule as a as a rule need, needs looking at a little bit because I think that there is a. Um, over penalisation, I think, of what is a at least genuine attempt to, to play the ball. If you, uh, I completely agree with with your synopsis there, James, that it's a deliberate decision. That is a fifty fifty chance, knowing that a, uh, a a misplaced arm, for example, could lead to a to a knock on and ruin a, a try scoring opportunity. Completely understand that, and I think that's why you, you probably still penalise instances like McGuigan's. But, you know, we've seen it in the past where, you know, players are deliberately slapping the ball down. You see it a lot at at, uh, at, at Rooks on the five-metre line, you know, where people are defending their line and, and will try and slap the ball out of the scrum half's hands. We see all that kind of stuff all the time, and that doesn't get penalised for a yellow card. And I think in instances like McGuigan's, yes, it's rec- reckless. Yes, he's making a deliberate decision. I think it's a little bit unfair to penalise that with a yellow card when there is clearly a genuine attempt to, to play the ball, even if it's a, if it's a risky one. But I think I take kind of umbrage with the rule more generally. I'm not surprised that McGuigan got that yellow card, but I do think um, overall we're not really talking about how uh, unnecessarily punitive that, that deliberate knock-on rule could, can be. And the fact that as well it doesn't always get enforced um, as, as, as much as you'd like to see when there is no clear attempt to at least lift the ball up into the air and make a, a, a 50-50 attempt at it. Um, Otherwise, I don't think you can really argue with any of the yellow cards. Completely understand the, the one on Luke James. Um, think, you know, player welfare, especially with hits to head, is so important at the moment. I, I think when someone is slipping into your shoulder, um, I, I think that's unavoidable. And I don't. If you want to give that as a penalty, fine. Um, but personally, I don't actually think it was a penalty. I think that's that's a, a rugby incident. I believe the term is. Um, so I think Luke James was very unlucky there. But it is what it is. Um, so, Alex, even if those some of those instances are a little bit dubious, I know you've been looking a little bit at discipline, a little bit about sales disciplinary record. And, you know, for, for, before we kind of get into that, I want to get your thoughts on this. Saturday kind of felt like um, a culmination of our disciplinary issues this season. And what do you think it says about the club that actually we were able to overcome that and still win away from home despite our pretty horrendous disciplinary record on the day yeah well to do it away from home is the kind of almost even more you know we got three yellow cards last week against Irish which I don't think the BT commentators actually realised because if they had they'd have had a field day you know they'd have been going oh this sale team classic yellow cards all over the place um incidentally we've 
just to throw a little start in there, we've uh, now had 15 yellow cards this season, which is our most in a season um, in the last 12 seasons, which is as far as the stats go back for me. Um, and we've still got, you know, eight games to go or whatever it is. Um, so it is a worry. Um, and I think, you know, it's that that culmination is interesting because that's sort of what happened against Irish. You know, Ushazen goes for a silly one, but actually we recover a bit. Harrison then goes for, you know, not really adapting to the new rules and moving his arm away from the body. And then Reed Reed's intercept and deliberate knock-on comes from that pressure. And it's part, partly a kind of way of the style we play um, and that defensive style. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that when we're down to 14, that becomes almost probably more potent attacking and defensive strategy. And actually, we probably go end up risking it a bit more. Um, but what does it say about the team? Well, I think it says that we are still adapting to these new rules and, and these new interpretations of the laws. Um because my dad will pick me up for calling them rules there. Um, I'll get in trouble for that. Um, so I think that's part of it. And you can see that in, in some of them. And I think certainly in maybe more the South African contingent, I don't think it's unfair to say that they have are the ones that, you know, when when you're hitting someone around the head and neck area, they're more likely to do it just because of the way they tackle. You know, Aka does it, Jean-Luc does it, Dan does it. Um, and I think that's certainly a, a possible possible area of issue. But then, as I said earlier, you know, it's the the underdog mentality that has been instilled in this team can come in useful sometimes, and and it does in times like this, you know. And it maybe it's you know something to do with the Rico as well because you know we had an underdog mentality going there last season, didn't we? Um, with a much rotated team against Wasps virtual first team. And they were on an absolute, you know, it's slightly different this year because they're on a bit of a doubt. They were really lacking confidence and really struggling. Whereas last season when we went, they were flying um, and then ended up in the Premiership final. So I think it tells you that there's a lot of kind of a grit and heart and backs to the wall, you know, being able to, to fight. I think the question is whether that is sustainable for a top four team, because it's absolutely sustainable for a team who rock around the mid-table position, sneak into the top six one year, fall out the next year when they're under pressure in the Champions Cup, like we have been for the last 10 years and more. Is it sustainable for a team who want to be in the top four? I'm not sure because, you know, we won't be able to, if we're playing against you know, most of the teams in this league. I mean, imagine playing Bristol down to 13. You'd, you'd concede 100 points quite easily. Um, similarly, Northampton at the moment are scoring 60 points against teams who've got 15 or 14 men. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't think it's, it's necessarily a great way to go. And it's good to know that we've got that in reserve. But I think what we need to transfer is it being... Okay, when we go down to thirteen or fourteen men, we've got this underdog mentality or whatever, but this fight to being able to do that with fifteen men on the field, and I, I I think we've got it to an extent, but the worry is that we need something to go against us for us to pull out high quality, you know, de- defensive, full of heart performances. 
And if something doesn't go against us, and actually we end up with the majority of possession and you know penalties going our way, that's when we seem to struggle, I think. I couldn't agree more with this kind of underdog mentality and, 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 and actually needing to execute when we're when we're dominant. I mean, clearly in our last two games, we have been so dominant. And, uh, you know, I think back to the Saints game, the first 20 minutes, I mean, we should have put 30 points past Saints. We've been well clear. Um, and so we translated that. It wasn't as obvious against Wasps. We weren't like completely dominant. The Wasps looked like they were dangerous and could score. But our execution in the 22 in the first half was absolutely awful. And in the, and the start of the second half, we were down there at the start of the second half as well. Before the wheels started coming off with the yellow cards, we had opportunities to score tries. Um, and some of them via rolling walls as well, which you know clearly is is massively improving and, and quickly under Sanderson. With 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 diff- I, I like in the way we're changing the point of attack um, quite nicely. The one we still can't do is throw to the back, but you know let's let's not try and run before we can walk. Um, but yeah, I think we still need to execute. You know, fifteen against fifteen, we were the better side against Wasps, and we should have been further ahead. Uh, Ironically, that might have changed the result because when we started using using losing the yellow cards, that we still would have felt the pressure to protect the lead in a way that the pressure came off almost when um, when we went down to thirteen. So that's that's the irony of exactly what you're saying saying there, isn't it, Alex? What do you think, Lewis? Well, I think as well the pressure coming off us and the pressure going on to Wasps made a massive difference because you can see it. You can see how Gopherv tries forcing kicks. He tries, you know, the the the, the back line is trying to force plays. And actually, in that first half, it was a really sort of even game. I think Wasps... I think Patel probably had the kind of... The, the, the slight tilt, and obviously they went in at half-time leading by three points. But, you know, Wasps kind of looked a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more uh, ball in hand. And, and, you know, players, you know, come out expecting to play 15 versus 15 and your patterns and your attacking setup is based on playing 15 versus 15. And you could see in the second half when all of a sudden... You know, you had Kibirigi and, and Adogwu and all the rest of them out, you, you know, available. They just couldn't bring him into the game properly, or at least in a way that, that had a meaningful impact. So I think it was really interesting that, uh, yeah, whilst the pressure kind of fell off us and we kind of adapted quite well to that, whilst just just didn't, and that's a big reason why why uh, ultimately they didn't win. The reason why Sale only win by one point, though, and I think we're, we're getting on to individual performances as well, is, is very much like you said, we just can't seem to convert in, in the 22 at the moment. And James, I know one of the big storylines for this game was with the return of Rohan van Rensburg. And I know you've got some thoughts, actually, on, on kind of how, how he ch- impacts Sale um, and, and kind of, you know, the difference that we saw straight away with, with what having him back in the team means and maybe the issues that come with that. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, you can see that the team, way the way team was set up, was similar than we were last week with with Doherty. The difference is, is obviously Van Rensburg's like one of his arms is the whole size of Connor Doherty, like you know. So, so clearly, you get the, the emphasis in in the contact, it, the speed he takes into the contact. I thought he was, he reminded me of of some of the players that we brought in during rotation, uh, you know, a few games ago, just trying a bit too hard. Uh, and I thought he was trying a bit too hard. He was too eager to be back, uh, wanting to kill people. So he he was coming out of the line just a little bit too quick. We do do a rush defence really quick off the mark, but we preferred to put the pressure on uh, from the wings, and 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 that's why we get so many intercepts and stuff. Um, 
I thought Van Rensburg at 12 was just stepping out a bit too much and just making our defensive line a bit too disjointed. And, and it was it was quite obvious. And I think that, you know, a, a confident Wasp sides could have executed it more even in the first half when we were slightly the better side. Um, and then and then secondly, you know, he does, this is a constant problem. It's not just this game. You can, you can excuse it because he's had some time out of the game. So he's a bit rusty. Uh, but he does lose a lot of ball in, in contact. Um, and that's because he's just running really quickly uh, and runs straight into people. I'd like to see him attack space a little bit more. I think, you know, asking someone to get their arms around him and actually tackle him properly is, is going to be tough. You know, clearly, if he's running into someone, he's still got the capability of literally running over them. Uh, but I think that that's when he start when he loses the ball quite a lot. Um so, yeah, look, I mean, clearly he brings a completely different uh, attacking dimension to our game because, you know, it keeps every defence honest because they, they know that he can beat one-on-one tackles. So they've got to double up. So it does mean that the next phase, if you get over the over the game line, you can attack further out. So clearly he's going to make a big change to the team in a positive way. Um, I just think it's only fair to point out um, but one is a limited, like a bit too keen, too, too keen in his in his in his first game back in defence. And secondly, is just an, a running issue around his retention of ball in contact that I'd like to see improvement in. I think just one thing as well to highlight, I really liked what Wasp did with putting Alf, Alfie Barbary basically on man-marking duty because Van Rensburg is such a weapon for, for us and such a focal point of our attack that it's obvious that we're going to give him plenty of the ball. And I think actually what Wasp did really well, which we've not seen teams really do that much of, it's like, right, rather than match up our 12 versus their 12, we're just going to put our biggest, bulkiest back row on him. And I think that, that works really well. And I was very actually impressed by how Wasps um, used a very talented player in Barbary as a bit of an offensive weapon as well. So I think that, that, that's worth highlighting. Um, Alex, let's talk about some individual performances, though, because it's a great game um, you know, from a team perspective. Um, who caught the eye for, from your perspective, um, aside from the Dupreeers? Because I want I want James to talk about that instead. Oh well, I think unsurprisingly, I'm going to start with Rafi Quirk, um, who I I thought was superb, and you know, for for a first start, yeah, he, you know, he didn't completely light it up like he has done when he's come on in the last 20 of games, obviously, because, you know, it's a completely different sort of scenario. But I thought his box kicking was excellent, really accurate, all contestable. Uh, That was picked up by the comms team. Something that I don't think was, was the quality of his passing. It was fast. It was to hand. You know, there wasn't anything going behind Rob Dupree or, you know, forwards having to reach for it. It was on a plate every time. And he was moving the ball so far away from the, the rook that that started to stretch Wasp's defence. And I think that'll be really, really useful going forward, being able to kind of, you know, we're, we're going to have people holding round either side of the rook. And the fact that he can move it so fast away from that then gets us into those wide channels, hopefully. So I, I thought that was really good. Um I thought his game management generally was was solid. Um, obviously, he was playing with Rob Dupria, who kind of had a bit of a point to prove as well, I think. And, you know, we'll come on to the Dupriers later. Um, but I just thought for a first start at 19 years of age, he was incredible. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't think he got quite enough credit for how solid he was um, because he didn't come on and do the, you know, 
make the 30 metres that he has in other games or, you know, make a little break. But he did everything that we would give Will Cliff credit for, I think. Um, so I was I was really impressed by him. Um, I thought Bevan Rod at, at Loosehead had another superb game and pretty much had Kieran Brooks on toast for most of it. You know, he was... Uh, you know, Kieran Brooks is a probably an international class player, um, you know, or not far off. And again, but Kieran Brooks has been around the Premiership for a long, long time. And it's another tight head that Rod has, you know, probably won the battle against after, I'm thinking about Harry Williams at Exeter, who is an international tight head, you know. So I think, again, for someone who's his age in his position, and, and James rightly says this all the time, you know, for a proper... 20 or 21 or whatever he is and a really really strong performance um and then the only other person i'd probably pick out is uh is josh beaumont who you know deservedly got a try at the end and was i think the line out went really well from a a call point of view i think there are the, the issues were with the throws rather than the kind of the jumping and the calls i think the calls were right just um the only one you could probably take issue with is that one to the back when we're five metres from their line, putting a lot of pressure on Acker, who is probably not the strongest thrower. But you see when Ashman comes on, and I've, I've missed out you and Ashman, but he was superb off the bench. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, we had, again, it's those... <laughs> is it a coincidence that I've just picked three academy players? I just I, didn't intend to, um, but I do think they were all superb. And I think... What Beaumont brings in the second row is probably why, and this this was a discussion on Twitter before the game, is why JP Dupree has sort of fallen into anonymity because Beaumont is so strong at everything, you know, at line-up calling, at carrying. He's, he plays like a half a number eight and half a second row. Um, so, yeah, I thought he was quietly superb and, and deserved it for the try. Um, the only other thing I'd say, and this wasn't necessarily individual players, but I thought our pilots at the mall, and I think Neil Acker and Ashman all did this really well, is something that we've been missing kind of since like Dave Seymour, Dan Braid era. Because um, I don't think Rob Weber was ever that strong at it just because of the, the low centre of gravity, especially Van der Merwe and Ashman have. And the fact that they're looking up all the time at the back of the mall, knowing where it's going, knowing where they need to move to. The amount of times that if we'd had like Rob Webber or someone else at the back of those malls, we'd have just gone into touch accidentally. Whereas because they're so alert and so aware of what's going on, they break off at the right time. And I think that was a, that's been a massive change in our mauling game that has really, really benefited us. And I think we'll continue to because we've got such a big pack. If we can get that as a weapon with those guys at the back, sort of piloting it and driving it, it'll be, um, we'll be able to do it against any team. Uh, before we move on to yeah, Jean-Luc and Dan then, I want to just quickly jump in and, and say shout out to Rob Dupria, who I thought had a really solid game. Um, I think we're starting to understand a little bit more about exactly how we can deploy RDP in this sales squad and kind of what he can bring and in which conditions and in which circumstances. You know, he, he wasn't Geordie Barrett scoring 30 points for the for the Canes, you know, in Super Rugby over the weekend. Um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily this, this sort of, um, you know, highlight real performance. But actually, I thought his kicking out of hand was superb. He was finding space 
it was a bit of a target area against Wasp, you know, because uh, uh, Kiraviggi and, and Adoglu aren't necessarily known uh, for, for their sort of defensive positioning, let's say. So I thought we, we, we manipulated the space really well. The passing was really quick. It was really flat. Um, I think overall, we, this was the right sort of game to deploy Rob Dupria because the Rico is a big pitch and a big wide pitch and, and Wasp like to come out and play and, and they're very much... Uh, a sort of attacking orientated team. So I thought credit as well to the coaching staff for making that call because I think Rob Dupria uh, adapted to the, the circumstances a little bit better than McGinty did. And he was a massive reason why we were so so much in it and actually ahead uh, in, in that first half as well because we went toe-to-toe with a, with a pretty dangerous uh, Wasp team and came out on top. Right, lastly, uh, let's talk about his little brothers, Jean-Luc and, and Dan, because I know, James, for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, you've been talking about uh, how, how the two of them can work together in the back row. And I know, actually, you were very impressed by them in the second half. Ma- ma- massively impressed, um, actually. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to suddenly change my uh, view that uh, balance is a very important thing when, you select, when you're selecting. And when you select both Dupree's in a back row together, I mean, they played together five times this season. We've lost four and we've won one by a point. So, I mean, I'm not going to suddenly go, oh, my God, they're the perfect match at six and eight because the facts don't currently back it up. But what I would say is when we went down to 13, it gave them both freedom to be that superhuman person. Um, And they're both brilliant at it. And I do think they've got the attributes. I mean, they've, they've clearly got all the attributes, physical attributes required to play together. Um, is whether they've got the mental attributes and whether it's the best balance for the side. I think that there is some promising signs um, that they might have the mental attributes, which I wasn't 100% sure about, certainly on the Jean-Luc. I think the way he's been, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of interviews with him um, where he's been talking about, you know, not trying to kill people in every single contact. I was watching him really closely yesterday and he was taking himself completely out of the firing line. He's putting his hands straight, straight up in the air. I don't know if that was a, a thing that the psychologist might have brought in. As soon as there was any sort of like nitty gritty, hands went up in the air and he just ran away. <laughs> he literally just ran away in the opposite direction. I mean, I mean, look, it's simple, but if it works, that sounds brilliant to me. Um, and then, and then the, the best thing, obviously, is executing a post-match interview. Um without just having to be cut off halfway through by the director behind the scenes. I thought his, his post-match interview had a bit of humour in it and I, I quite enjoyed it. So, I mean, maybe Sanderson's going to get, eventually going to get there and that's maybe why he's persevering with this combination because he thinks that they're still quite young and they can still um, still play together. Uh, Jean-Luc in particular was excellent. Dan, you know, he's, he's much more solid. Uh, I still would like to see us as a unit in the scrum being able to get the ball to his feet much more quickly and get the ball out if we are going backwards because whilst Rod did get a lot of penalties out of Brooks when there wasn't a penalty given our way the power did come through I mean that's where Rod is gonna that's why he probably is gonna play for England by the way because at the moment he's having to work out how to cope with people who are just more powerful than he is so he's gonna be picking up some really good techniques um, and when his power, when he just fills out naturally, he's going to be, you know, really, really fantastic player. So there's my thing on the Dupriers. I just want to make a couple of comments on the things that you guys mentioned. First of all, the mall, I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the try that we scored at the end, the control at the back of the mall is the best I've seen for 
in, in any game by any team for a very, very long time. And you're right, Ashman, um, Aka earlier on, and Neil was very, very important. He's like a second steerer. And the way his technique with the way he passes the ball back, I thought it was all brilliant. <clears throat> I thought Cam Neal had another very, very good game. We were using him off the back of this, this line-out move, aren't we? Where he sort of takes the ball off the, off the back, runs sideways. He either flicks the ball inside uh, to either a Dupreer coming on. I'd like to see us use a winger sometimes for a strike move. That might be something we might add in later on. Or he passed it on to Van Rensburg coming on a, on a really tight line. Yeah, or he just takes it into contact himself, and he makes just really simple decisions. You know, like when Luke James was playing at his best, and you just you just never made a mistake, and you know it was seven or eight out of ten every single week. That's what Cam Neal is doing at the moment, and it's so important for our squad. And I thought we played better. The Dupreys were allowed to play maybe a little bit better because of Neil's the way Neil plays versus maybe Jono at seven. So maybe there is a bit more balance there that helps with that. Um, Rafi, I think you're absolutely right. I think he. Uh, I think both Rafi and Rod found out that the Premiership is a tough place to be. They played well, but it was they had tough games, and that's what's going to make them much better players in the future. You know, they, they came off and they would have thought, "Fucking hell, that is that is a high level of performance that we've had to do." I mean, Rafi made one silly decision running into Alfie Barbary in their in their twenty two and lost ball in contact. That was, and he kicked the ball out on the full, but got away with it through a penalty. So he made a couple of mistakes that were costly. Um, but I thought for his first ever start, we've got to be really, really happy with that. Uh, incidentally, I thought Cliff and Harrison both made quite big differences when they came on. And, and Sanderson used the bench really, really well. All of the players, maybe McGinty aside because he got simpinned, but everyone else really made a difference. The big call, John on at half time for Ustazen. Really, really big call, quite significant. Shows we've got maybe an issue looking ahead to next season. John made an instant impact, I thought, apart from giving away penalties at, at rough time. Um, and when Harrison and uh, Ashman came on, we actually had the upper hand in the scrum. Um, so I, I, I think that 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 was that was an interesting one. And Rob Dupree, I thought his kicking out of hand was brilliant. Not just and he's kicking a goal. That's the thing with Rob; he's a really classy player. But if he doesn't kick his first kick, you know, you know you're in trouble. But he nailed that one, and he nailed one from first virtually the halfway line, right in front. Boom, straight through. He's his kicking at goals like a golf swing. Yeah. It's it's not like it's not like a cricket shot like some of the others the other guys. It's a bit more sort of like technique based, doesn't change that often. His golf swing, you know, we all know what it's like. You know, you can have really, really bad days, you're shanking it left, you're shanking it right. It's when he gets it right, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when he doesn't, it's difficult to watch. But a fair play to him. I agree with you, Lewis. That great, great selection call. I think you might revolutionise the the kicking coaching thing with with this idea of cricket shots versus golf shots. I completely understand what you mean, but yeah, it's certainly an analogy. I don't think I've uh, I've, I've heard before. But you know, that's what we bring here on the shots, like a bit of avant garde rugby analysis. So so well done, James. Um, right, that that's Wasps. You know, Sailor up to third uh, with with the win. Massive, massive gut check. Uh, big thank you to Carl Sinclair as well for helping us get up to third with with his late try, helping Bristol beat Quins um, on earlier on Saturday afternoon. Um, but we've got to move away from the Premiership for a little bit because we're actually in the knockout rounds of the European Champions Cup. Do not ask me how we got there because uh, none of us could could properly answer that. Um, but we do have a round of 16 game uh, next. 
so Sale will go, travel down to the, the Parky Scarlets on uh, on Sunday the 4th of April, so Easter Sunday. It's a half-past five kickoff, last game uh, of, the, of the weekend. Um, and for the first time in God knows how long, Sale are in knockout, uh, knockout European action, but at the top level as well. So, James, uh, maybe with less focus on how we managed to get there, given that we played two and lost two in the in the pool stages, um, what can we expect from Scarlets on uh, on Sunday afternoon? Well, they'll have a few Wales players returning full of confidence after winning the Six Nations. Six Nations review coming up very soon as a bonus podcast. Um, after, after this podcast, you after know, this, we'll record yeah, it straight yourself, afterwards. Get yourselves on Patreon. Uh, and uh, and listen to that, um, but yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they've had a reasonable season actually, the Scarlets, um, and they've actually played quite well in the recent past with some of their big players away, which never usually happens. They usually get absolutely annihilated when the players are with with Wales. Um, form guide: they've won three of their last four um, games. They finished third in their conference for the Pro 14. So they've qualified for the Champions Cup for next season. So that's a, that's a solid return for, for, for Scarlets. Played 16-1-8. Solid. You know, not setting the world alight, but, you know, solid. Uh, seven bonus points amongst that. They are capable of scoring tries. Um, and they have those last, last four games. They, they beat Benetton at home, which you'd expect, but scored over 40 points, uh, which is of interest. Uh, Edinburgh away, which we know is a bloody good win. Uh, away from home at Edinburgh against uh, Richard Cockrell's side, that's tough. And then at home against Connacht. Um, we know that Connacht are a good team, won 41-36. Came from miles back, they were 20-odd 20 20 points behind. So that so that is going to do wonders for their belief. Uh, and that, that was their, their last game out. So um, they are going to come in with a lot of confidence, returning international players. I think that they're, they're going to be... Um, they're going to be Dangerous, yeah. Um, how they got to the to this stage, it what it's not not perfect like us. They had a forfeited game against Toulon. I don't know if you remember that Toulon just refused to to to, to play, um, so they got the the four points for that. But they actually did beat Bathaway, so at least they have some pedigree of winning in the competition, which is one step further ahead than us. Uh, Nineteen twenty three, they beat Bathaway. Um, looking at their their, their squad. I mean, with their returning Wales players, it is strong. It is strong. It might we might have felt different about it if Wales had just got the wooden spoon. Um, but you know, actually, they've got depth now across this squad. A lot of international caps. If you look at their front row, I mean, clearly Ken Owens is a, is a, is a leader of of some repute. I mean, I, you know, I know that he, England fans never like to give Wales too much credit, but Ken Owens, you know, he. He puts his head where it hurts. I mean, it looks like he's been doing that for a very long time, looking at the state of his face. But um, yeah, I mean, he he is a big leader for the for the Scarlets. Win Jones at one with Rob Evans coming off the bench. That's really really strong. Um, tight head. They've got a lot of depth there. Krug Kruya. Uh, they've got Schultz as well, both South Africans, and then Samson Lee. We know is a solid scrummager. We know we don't have to worry about him around the park. Even so. Their weakest area, and this could be good for Sale, is in the second row. They're Jake Ball reliant, who's off at the end of the season, right? So, and Jake Ball didn't feature for Wales all that much in in the, in the Six Nations. So, uh, I think if he does play, he's going to be rusty. They don't have very much depth there at all. So, I'd like us to see see his attack lineouts, but also 
them getting around the park. I think we've got opportunities at rook time to get quick ball, but also slow up their ball, which I think could be really good. Back row, they they signed Callum Maffoni from Leicester. Didn't do brilliantly at Leicester, but Scarlets have always played quite well with a sort of roaming number eight. Think back to Ben Morgan. Um, I think he goes well. They've got Shingler back from injury, which I think is going to be really important for, 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 for them. Really experienced blind side. And then uh, open side, we've got quite a few options. Lots of young lads. James Davis, though, I imagine will probably play against us. We know he can, he'll, he'll get turnovers. So we'll have to be on our game, you know, making sure that we don't give him too much, that, that we don't get isolated in contact because he will, he will turn us over. Going into the backs, two international options. The first two choice Wales options, they've got Kieran Hardy and Gareth Davis. I mean, you know, De Klerk's going to have to be on fire if Rafi is coming off the bench. You know, this is a big test. This is going to be a, a, a significant step up. Uh, at 10, another area of potential weakness. Reese Patchell is injured, has been for a long time. So that they've got Dan Jones in at 10, who I'd say is a solid pro 14 operator. Kicks his goals, kicks the touch quite nicely, you know, does the simple things quite well. But, you know, he's, he's not going to be slicing teams open, throwing the passes everywhere. You know, he's a solid operator, but he's not of the top, top quality. So I think that that potentially is a weakness. Go into the rest of the team. Um, and I'm going into a bit of detail here just because I know that a lot of our people won't have been watching Pro 14 because it's on Premier Sports. Um, centres, they've got Johnny Williams and Jonathan Davis coming back from Wales duty. Now, that looks to me to be a very good uh, midfield combination to me. Um, but they've also been having Steph Hughes, who captains the side quite often at 12. And Tyler Morgan, who's been in and out of the Wales team as well as an, open, uh, as a, uh, as an outside centre who've been playing really well in the last few weeks. So I think they've got some really interesting selection decisions there. Do they bring people in quite cold? Don't forget, uh, Johnny Williams hasn't played that much for Wales since the beginning rounds of the Six Nations, so hasn't had that much rugby. Jonathan Davis has had more rugby at the end of the Six Nations, but hasn't played for the Scarlets this season. So I think they've got a selection call there to make. And I think they'll go with Williams and Davis because of their pedigree, right? But I think that could be a bit of an opportunity, a bit of rustiness there. Back three, half penny, I imagine, will be back in at full back. We know he's going to kick absolutely everything from everywhere. So discipline wise, we've just got to be we've got to be on a different level than we've shown most of this season because he'll just kill us from absolutely everywhere in our own half. And probably a little bit into the Wales into the Scarlets half, let's be honest. Uh, and then Steph Evans, we know is a he's a he's a good player, uh, scores tries. Uh, Johnny McNichol on the other wing. Liam Williams, I imagine, will play on one of the wings. So um yeah, I mean, look, they've got a really, really good side. Opportunities for me, second row, fly half. And my head-to-head to finish on, for me, has got to be Wynne Jones or Rob Evans versus Will Griffjohn. For obvious reasons, they're all Welsh, but also Griffjohn's going to be down at the Scarlets next season. I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. So, Alex, I mean, um, I, I guess two, two questions for you, because I appreciate you've not, not had much to say for a while. Um, the first is, you know, who, who are the kind of danger men from, from a Scarlet's perspective that, that you're kind of keeping an eye out for? Um, and and second, you know, I mean, I, I assume Sale go full full strength for, for this game, but what does full strength look like on paper? Yes. Two very good questions. Um, and I think James is absolutely right on everything he said on Scarlet's. And the, the two that worry me 
are James Davis in the back row, because I think if he can get us at the breakdown, especially if we don't have a curry, that is a, that is a worry. Uh, and Steph Evans on the wing, because we tend to struggle with very good wingers, don't we? Look at Josh Bassett historically, although he throws dreadful passes off his left hand. Uh, that does make it easier sometimes. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing with the Scarlets is, as James says, whether they bring those internationals back in, because you look at when teams have tried to do that, and, and it's interesting that we didn't bring Tom Curry back in, um, and whether that indicates that you know we're going to bring him back in next week. Similarly, you know, we bring in Rohan back from injury. I know he's not an international, but again, bringing someone into the team and very much changing kind of the dynamic. So bringing in, you know, like you say, Jonathan Davies, uh, Johnny Williams, bringing back in at, at nine with, with Gareth Davies, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, you almost risk losing that kind of continuity. And coming off a, a massive win against Connacht after, you know, it, it would be very harsh on those players who overturned a 21-point deficit um, to to lose their spot. So that's the I think that's the, the kind of question. I mean, Liam Williams is an international class player. I absolutely hate him I, on a rugby field. That is, off, off a rugby field, no issue with him. But on a rugby field, he's one of the most annoying people in the world. Um, so that will frustrate me no end if he ends up playing and scoring tries. But he is really, really dangerous. Um, clearly going to be in with the Lions this summer. And I think that's that's the kind of the worry is that you've probably got quite a few Lions, at least, you know, squad members, if not test starters in that Scarlet's team, which is probably what we haven't. Um, and so that kind of going on to, to that... I think you have to bring in Fafter Clerk. If you you know you've signed Fafter Clerk, you play him in European knockout games, regardless. Um, I think the Quirk Dupria axes that we saw this weekend probably indicates that we're going to see De Clerk and McGinty back next weekend, um, and I think that makes sense. I think they have shown that they're by you know McGinty's by far our best kicker. I know Rob you know had a good kicking game, but that last conversion looked like it didn't want to go over for all the world. I, I, I said to you guys, and I'll repeat it now, that it very much reminded me of Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal against Australia in the World Cup final, in that it was one of the worst kicks I've ever seen, but it did go between the posts, so you can't complain about it. But it, it, it looks like you know the sort of thing that just wasn't meant to go over and somehow did. So... You know, but interestingly, his first three kicks were all absolute nails. They were like straight down the middle, didn't deviate in the slightest. So clearly a bit of pressure. Um, but I would have AJ back in. I think in that you know we we are edging our way to getting a, a really strong first team, and that probably is Rod Langdon John as a starting front row for me. I don't think Ustazen's quite done what kind of we want him to do and I also think he's a loose head so I don't think we should be playing him at tight head and I think Devin Rod is by far our best loose head um, but equally Ross Harrison came off and had a really good game off the bench Bevan has played a lot of rugby recently so I wouldn't be opposed to having him in I think surely we'll go Diaga Beaumont that's your strongest second row and, and this is all kind of being precluded by the fact I think you've got to go with your strongest team as as you said it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first time we've been in the knockout stages of the top European competition since we were playing in uh, beer it's in San Sebastian in 2006 um, someone with more knowledge of the stats than me can 
correct me on that if I'm wrong. But and then in the back row, I think you've got to bring in Tom Curry. The Dupree question is a massive one. And how do you drop Jean Luc after a man of the match performance? Probably don't. But then Dan Dupree is has been the best number eight we've had for a long time. So really difficult. But I think I suppose Jean Luc showed it against Irish that he can play at eight, didn't he? So you probably end up I mean personally I'd have a back row of Curry Neald, John Luke, but I don't think we will. I think we'll have John O'Ross, Tom Curry, Dan Dupria, probably. Um as I said, De Clerk can begin to half back. Centres, no idea. Genuinely no idea because part of me, the the controversial part wants to say Chuck Commodarity. But that's I'm I'm sure someone will tweet me and say that's a stupid idea because it is. Yeah, but... I'll, 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 I'm sorry, Alex. I'll say that now. That is a stupid idea. But play Van Rensburg. We, we've got him back. He's so good, even if he does spill the ball. Uh, a fair I was going like... to. That's but that's the problem. Every time he's brilliant when he carries it into contact, but the way he carries the ball means that he just drops it and loses it. So it's all well and good making ten meters, but. Conor Doherty might only make one metre, but at least he'll recycle the ball and keep hold of it. Perhaps we split the difference then and, and play Sam Hill. You know, you get the, the, the season pro um, who doesn't who doesn't make many metres, but he also doesn't spill the ball either. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a bad shout, actually. Um, and and interestingly, he will, have, he will have played in big games like this for Exeter. So there is an element there of... Um, rationale for bringing Sam Hill back and he will probably have something to prove now as well because he's been dropped effectively hasn't he um, and not been near a match day 23 so yeah potentially Sam Hill Sam James clearly outside centre back three again interesting because I think you start McGuigan every day of the week don't you I think you start Luke James at full back again every day of the week as long as he can work out a way to sort of spring his hips, some sort of hip replacement, presumably, that means that he can bend down when an opposition player drops a metre in about 0.3 of a second. Then that's the only improvement area for Luke James for me. The other wing is the interesting one because I think Marlon Yard, very good player, but a little part of me wants to say put Aaron Reid on the other wing again. You know, I think... And and part of that is probably because Steph Evans is is pretty electric and will will tear it up. And and do we need someone who can do that? You know, Yard is a very very good player, and when he's up for it, he looks really dangerous. But I do just think Reed brings that that separation pace that we need. So it's it's a difficult one. And and conservatively, conservatively, you'd go for Hill and Yard. And if you were throwing the dice, you'd go for Doherty and Reed. So. That's, I think that's the decision. And I presume, you know, first knockout stage of the European Cup, we'll go conservative and play Hill and Yard and, and we'll see what happens. But I think what Doherty brings at inside centre, what Reed brings on the wing is a little bit of the unknown and a little bit of, you know, Scarlet's won't have done any analysis on them really. They'll be expecting us to play Hill, Yard. They'll know how to play against us because we've played with that combination so many times. So if you know that you bring in De Klerk and McGinty, do you add something a bit different? That'd be, I'd be tempted to do that. I don't think he will. But um, yeah, if it was up to me, I'd play Doherty and Reed. But I expect to see Hill and Yard. No, fair, 
Fair enough. I mean, I I think you know this. If there's ever a time to throw out your big money, big name South Africans, this is it. You know, um, away especially in knockout rounds of Europe, and it's it's a really exciting game because I think actually it should be a great contest between a Scarlets team that is good but is not necessarily like a Leinster or a, a Clermont quality, and a team in Sale who have loads of very good players, and we're still just trying to make it all fit together. Um, so I'm really excited for it for, for a lot of reasons, but I think it's going to be a fantastic game of rugby uh, one way or the other until it chucks it down and it's a, a 6-3 a, on, a, on a cold Sunday night. Um, so let, let's do some predictions then. Um, James, you know you know the most about Scarlet, so I'll go to you first. Really difficult one to call. I won't be surprised to see Sale win. But, you know, away in the Champions Cup in knockout stages usually go one way, don't they, uh, historically? So I'm I'm just, I'm going to say Scarlet thirty sale twenty two no twenty one let's go stay with twenty one we're comfortable with that yep I I'm going to narrowly give it to Scarlets as well like you said uh, when you have knockout competitions typically the home team has a, a significant advantage and obviously they have the luxury of bringing back as Alex mentioned some. Not just Welsh internationals, but probably some British and Irish lines as well. But then again, so to sale um, in, a, in, a, in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. That said, I'm going to go Scarlets 23, uh, Sale 17. I, I'm going to just edge out to, to to the home team. But great experience for the likes of Bevan, Rod, Curtis, Langdon, etc. Alex, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think we're probably going to have more starting South African players than we are going to have uh, starting British and Irish lines, aren't we? Unfortunately, um, I. I agree with you both, but for the sake of being controversial and being optimistic, I'm going to say that Sale win this. Um, I, I think Lou Diaga is going to run the show in the line out. I think we'll get the rolling ball going. I don't think Scarlets will be able to stop it. And I think we will win uh, 22 points to 20. I think it'll be... Yeah, I don't... I mean, Lewis, I think your prediction is probably the most sensible. But a part of me wants to say that we'll take the belief from this week and Christ, don't, let's just get let's just get people sent off every ten minutes, fine, or just you know play with fourteen. Tell tell them that this Scarlet's team wronged them all in a past life. Whatever we need to do to get into a headspace, we're the underdogs and we thrive off that. No one's going to be expecting us to win, so maybe we'll sneak it by two points. Um, and and if I'm right, then. I'll be punching the sofa again. So, fair enough. Right, uh, that that's it for this week's pod. Uh, thank you uh, to everyone for listening. Um, thank you to everyone who sent us forward reviews. Um, apologies, we didn't quite get round to it um, this week, but we we appreciate um, everyone getting uh, getting so excited uh, about the the game on Saturday, even if it was just saying yellow four times over. Um, as we mentioned, we're now about to jump on to. Uh, the Patreon to do uh, our Six Nations review. We're going to look at some of the, the most exciting uh, talking points from the competition, but obviously with a sale focus, because that's ultimately what uh, what we all want to hear as sale fans. Um, so if you're not signed up to that yet, um, yeah, please uh, please join us on there. Um, and yeah, that's everything from me. Um, Alex, James, anything uh, from you guys before we say goodbye? No, nothing from me other than stop getting sent off. Oh.